Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the No Lasting City podcast for our second episode. I am Scott Corian, and I am the host of this podcast. If you did not listen to the first episode, I encourage you to do that. That will give you a big overview of, of a little bit about me and also what this podcast is all about. But for this episode, I want to jump right in and pick up on, on something that I said right at the end of the first episode, which was just my belief that we in America are increasingly in a post-Christian and, and secular society, and uh, that that's got implications for, for how we live our Christian lives and how we function as churches. And I want to, to maybe back that up a little bit, say a little bit more about that. I, this is something I'm very interested in, and I, I do think it, as a pastor and church planter, it's got a lot of infl- implications for, for how we do ministry. And so earlier uh, um, this year, back in March, the Gallup organization reported that for the first time in their eight decades of reporting, less than 50% of Americans have membership in a church of any kind. Now, for those that have been following this, this latest reality continues something that's already been documented as a steep downward trend in American religiosity. Uh, consider some of the following statistics from the report. I'll highlight briefly. In 2020, just 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. Note that in, in 20 years, there's been over a 20% drop, which is very steep and very quick. Uh, U.S. membership was 73%. Uh, Sorry, U.S. church membership was 73% when Gallup first measured in 1937. Over the past two decades, the percentages of Americans who do not identify with any religion has grown from 8% in 1998 to 2000 to 13% in 2008 to 2010 and 21% over the past three years. So a corresponding, we see increase in the number of people that are religiously unaffiliated, um, there's a few more statistics, uh, I, uh, but I'll just hit this last one. I think is important. Church membership is strongly correlated with age in our country. 66% of U.S. adults born before 1946 belong to a church, compared with 58% of baby boomers, 50% of Gen X, and only 36% of millennials, and there was a little bit of discussion in the article that Gen Z is also tracking right around 30%. So the the takeaways from a report like that is that the number of both non-churched and de-churched Americans are rising rapidly, uh, and that the largest growing religious demographic continues to be the, the, the non-affiliated, the so-called nuns. Uh, and further, given the fact that you know the, the younger generation of Americans are significantly less religious than older generations, this trend appears to be very likely to continue in the foreseeable future, right? Because it, we're under 50% as a whole, but the, 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 uh, the, the older generation, the number is way, the percentage is way higher. And so when the older generation dies off in a couple decades, unless something changes, that that number, that 47% is just going to plummet lower and lower very, very, very quickly. So um, 
uh, again, I, I wanted to do a, an episode just thinking a little bit about the implications of, of this reality. So one of the takeaways from a report like this is that America is increasingly becoming more like Europe. More uh, Europe is notoriously post-Christian. If you've seen the statistics over there, churches are basically empty. Uh, it's uh, it's not a not a pretty not a pretty picture at all. And uh, I, I read a book years ago that I, I want to share a few quotes with you because I think it it uh, it's interesting uh, and, and informative. It, the book was written by an English pastor, pastor from England, writing an, a, a book defending the Christian faith largely to people in England, but he's, he has a preface and introduction where he specifically addresses American readers of the book. And in the preface, I have a few notes here from what he said, he, he, he uh, calls attention to the fact, he says, I, I want you people in America to understand what it's like here. And he says, here in Britain, it's more likely that people will deny that they go to church, even if they actually do, on the grounds of embarrassment. And he was saying that because he was reacting to polls he saw from, from America, which said that people in America over-exaggerate their church attendance to try to make it look like they're more religious than they are. He said, "That's we're so far beyond that, it's the opposite here. And then I, I found very interesting in, in chapter one of his book, which is called Unapologetic, Why Despite Everything, Christianity Still Makes Surprising Emotional Sense. That's the book I'm referencing. In chapter one, uh, he, he says this, quote, my daughter just turned six, and sometime over the next year or so, she will discover that her parents are weird. We're weird because we go to church. And then he goes on to say, quote, the really painful message our daughter will receive is that we're embarrassing. For, for most people, believers aren't weird because we're wicked. We're weird because we're inexplicable. Because when there is no necessity for it that anyone can see, we've committed ourselves to a set of awkward and absurd attitudes which obtrude, which stick out against the background of modern life. He goes on to say, believers are people who try to insert Jesus into conversation at parties, who put themselves down for perfectly normal human behavior, we voluntarily associate ourselves with old-fashioned orthodoxy and an authority that has no more authority, and there's no reason for it. Most people's lives provide them with a full range of loves and hates and joys and despairs and a moral framework by which to understand them and a place for awe and transcendence without any need for religion. Believers are people touting a solution without a problem. There's an end quote. And I, I found, I remember reading that and thinking, wow, that, that seems to be where America is heading, right? Where, where as Christians, uh, if we're holding fast to what have been historic Christian beliefs, we will be the weird ones. We will be the ones that, that stick out uh, uh, because we're holding fast to, to something that modern life says there's just no reason for it. Uh, I'm reading a book on church planting in Europe with my church planting coach, and he, uh, in, in the first chapter of that book, he he uh, gives a couple of marks of, of secularization, uh, and specifically in reference to Europe. But but just listen to these, and I think you'll you'll hear and and just see how they apply to our current context here in America. He said, "What marks secularization? There's a there's a couple things." Uh, first of all, there is a low and decreasing level of church attendance. Of course, that's what the Gallup 
uh, poll we cited is is reporting. We've had a, a very quick drop in church attendance. Uh, there's uh, another mark of secularization is a low and decreasing level of other types of church involvement, baptisms, church weddings, funerals, etc. cetera. Uh, there's an increasing lack of belief in traditional Christian doctrines like a personal God, the divinity of Jesus Christ, heaven and hell. Uh, another mark of secularization, he notes, is a general indifference towards traditional religious questions. So there's just a lot of apathy. Uh, towards religion in general, and cultural elites are often quite critical of religion and religious institutions. Uh, the author says, in such countries, devoted Christians and committed atheists are usually rather small minorities, while the large majority of the population considers itself somewhat spiritual, as long as this does not include submission to the authority of any institution. So, in other words, uh, a secularizing country, you hear the refrain, oh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not associated with any institution. And again, we're, we're just seeing increasingly all of these hallmarks uh, in, in our own country. And so what does that mean for uh, church life and ministry? That's what I wanted to briefly uh, reflect uh, with you for the rest of this podcast. There's there's a lot to say, uh, but as a pastor and church planter, here are some of the takeaways I have. And uh, as I as I want to plant a church that's uh, uh, impactful in our community, that is building up Christians, but also reaching out. Uh, here's a couple implications that this new reality I, I think has for all of us uh, Christians. Uh, first. The church can no longer be content to simply reshuffle Christians and rely on transfer growth for sustainability. Now, let me say a little bit about this. Uh, this has never, of course, been a healthy mindset, but uh, the Gallup report noted that in 1937, 73% of Americans belonged to uh, largely Christian churches. And, and I've read uh, other books which suggest that in some parts of the country, what we now consider the Bible Belt, the Deep South, it was actually much higher than that in the 90% uh, uh, of people associated actively with a Christian church. So in that context, it is understandable how churches could have assumed that they would remain vibrant and continue to grow merely through transfer growth. Uh, when everyone is at least culturally a Christian, churches could more or less expect that they could sustain and even grow ministry without any actual evangelistic impact in the community. And one of the realities a report like this reminds us of is that increasingly outside of certain pockets in our country, those days are over. Um, I remember uh, I worked a couple of years ago with a, 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 a kind of a mentor who, who uh, works with pastors in, in, in evangelism and outreach, and we would have discussions. And I remember him telling me, Scott, that the days of transfer growth, particularly in the big coastal cities, are over. Transfer growth is drying up because there's fewer and fewer Christians in, in, in the city. And if all the churches are doing are trying to compete with other churches for the for an incre uh, 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 a smaller and smaller amount of Christians, that's not good. And all we're going to see is, is churches, more and more churches begin to 
uh, close their doors. You know, if we sit back and wait for those who already believe to come to us, that's not a posture that is sustainable for the church when we have fewer and fewer people who are growing up in the faith. I mean, that that's, I think, one of the uh, implications uh, for that. Uh, here's the second implication. So first, the church can no longer be content to simply reshuffle Christians and rely on transfer growth. And the second just is the is the counterpoint to that. The church must more and more prioritize intentional and relational engagement with the non-churched and de-churched in our communities. Uh, if, uh, as the Gallup port suggests, we are now living at a time when fewer and fewer of our neighbors will have grown up with any meaningful contact with the Bible, the Christian church, or even Christian people in general. Uh, as, uh, as, I, as we read from uh, that, that, that quote from the, the pastor from England, increasingly the Bible and those who believe it are regarded as strange and outdated, not mainstream or normal. And again, the same uh, mentor that I worked with a couple years ago used to say, and I thought it was a, a, a good illustration, that we're now living in at a time when many Americans drive by a Christian church building and have the same reaction you do when you drive by, let's say, a Masonic Lodge. I mean, what, what, what's going through your mind? Tip, uh, for most of us, when, we're, when we see a Masonic Lodge, well, we think to ourselves, what kind of weird people go in there and what weird things do they do? And increasingly, that's what people are thinking as they drive by Christian churches. What kind of weird people go to that and believe that? And what are, what are they doing in there? And so in this new reality, the church must be equipped to take the good news of the gospel uh, outside the four walls of the church because we just can't wait uh, for people to come to us. Um, you can imagine, you know, what if the, the first century church uh, that small group of believers huddled together, um, uh, waited for people to come to them. Well, none of us would be here because nobody was coming to them. They, they had strange beliefs. Uh, they were preaching a gospel that that nobody had heard of, was foreign. Uh, they had to go out, and that's how the church grew and reached people. And as our own country becomes more secularized, that's more uh, of an implication and ministry need for us. Uh, third, uh, let me say that it, it, uh, another Im third implication is that uh, in our churches, we have to take far more seriously discipleship. Uh, we, we, we need to get serious about discipleship of our kids, of our youth, of all of our members. We, we need to, to know more and more uh, to to borrow the, the tagline from the uh, White Horse Inn podcast, if you're familiar with that, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we, we've got to be clear on that. We've got to be churches that are really devoted to the apostles' teaching and grounding ourselves uh, in the truths of the Christian faith, because we can no longer expect uh, or rely upon other institutions in the country to reaffirm and ground that. In fact, we'll, we're increasingly and already seeing uh, some of some of the, uh, the the opposite of that. And so, if we don't prepare our children uh, uh, well to know what they believe, but why they believe it, and then send them off to college, uh, that seems to me to be a recipe for uh, disaster uh, for them because. 
everything in the culture is going to be challenging their faith, not not supporting it. So we we've really got to learn the faith ourselves uh, um, and, and get serious about discipleship. Uh, it's uh, b- discouraging for me as a pastor to see some of the polls and stuff that I do uh, about uh, the the low level of of basic biblical knowledge that many uh, uh, professing Christians have, and and we've got to be serious in our churches about uh, discipleship. And then finally, and I'll finish with this: uh, the impl- one of the the ministry implications of of a, of a report like this is it highlights the need for the church to be a praying people. Right, the early Christian movement faced significant odds as it sought to bear witness to Christ in the Greco-Roman world. They had no social capital. They had very few resources, a very distinct and foreign way of life, and a message of a crucified Savior that was offensive to the Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. Yet, over the course of a few decades, the Christian movement was exploding rapidly throughout the world. Uh, what, what accounts for this? Not the great ingenuity or wisdom of the church, but the reality that Jesus Christ really did die, rise again, ascend into heaven, and poured out his spirit on the church. A real movement of the gospel has always been and continues to be God's work. And thus, one of the central ministries of the early church that we see very clearly in the book of Acts was calling on God's name for him to work through them for his kingdom advancement. We, we see time and time again that the early church was devoted uh, to the prayers. Prayer was an essential ministry of the church, not merely a hoop to jump through to get to the real ministry. Uh, prayer is the ministry. Uh, uh, we don't have the resources, wisdom, or strength uh, to do battle with the spiritual forces in our day, uh, but the risen Savior does. And as the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, prayer moves the arm which moves all else. So those are my four implications for us. Let me conclude this episode just by saying these statistics may seem daunting, uh, and in some ways they are, but I don't want us to be discouraged. I believe the moment we're living in is one filled with opportunity. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, In Scottsdale, that is certainly true. In our country, that is certainly true. And we can have confidence in our risen Savior, in his promises, in his presence. Uh, He indeed is reigning. He is the one who builds the church, and the gates of hell truly cannot prevail against it. So let's engage our communities prayerfully, intentionally, relationally, and yet confidently, because our Lord has many people in this city, and he will advance his kingdom through his church. And as history has shown, um, that, uh, that cannot be stopped. So that's all I have for, for this episode of No Lasting City. Thanks for listening. Uh, join me next time. Goodbye.